Hello and welcome to Clappercast, a weekly discussion of all things cinema. I'm your host, Editor-in-Chief Jet Luke Sharp, and today I'm happy to be joined by Carson Tamar. Hello, hello. Jakob Flash. Hello. And special guest, letterbox personality and critic of YouTube channel, Enjoy the Movies, Nicolo Grasso. Hello there. Today we're going to talk about Václav Mahul's widely controversial The Painted Bird, Gavin O'Connor's profound drama, Finding the Way Back, starring Ben Affleck, and the Shudden original release, The Beach House. Let's begin with The Painted Bird. A young Jewish boy in Poland seeks refuge in the forests during World War II, where he encounters many different characters. Is there a profound voice to be heard here? Or is this torture upon on a level audiences haven't witnessed in some time? The Painted Bird is a fascinating film. It is something that you're either going to really love or you're really going to despise. And I managed to see this film back when it was first shown and screened at the Venice Film Festival, which is almost a year ago. And my thoughts about it have widely changed. At first, I was not a fan of the film, like, at all. Outside of its technical prowess, I had many problems with its storytelling, with um, the portrayal of violence and the content, and even some of the -the behind-the-scenes problems that were already present with the adaptation of of the novel. But as time has went on, I have not changed my mind as far as particularly enjoying the film, in as much as someone could enjoy a film such as The Painted Bird. But there's just something about the intentions of the director that are commendable. He took a controversial novel about some real facts, some uh, fictitious facts of uh, wartime atrocities during World War II in Poland, the middle of Central Europe, And he wanted to show so much darkness, the darkness that people are capable to do in those desperate times in an incredibly graphic way that is bound to get to every single viewer, under every single viewer's skin. Doesn't matter how someone might have seen Salah countless times or a Serbian film or whatever. It is a very disturbing and upsetting film, purposefully so. And what the director wanted to do was to take you on a journey that's very dark and very cruel, but at the end, you see a glimmer of hope and the possibility of change after war, of building up again, future. I really like that. I really, really like what his intentions were. Unfortunately, I don't think that the film itself meets those expectations, those elements. One of the main problems for me watching the film is that it's a highly episodic film and so episodic that you could almost shuffle some of the scenes around and you wouldn't really notice any change in the narrative because the performance of the of the main young child 
it's uh, it's a solid performance, but you don't really see change. You don't really see growth, even if in his actions. It's just in the last 20, 25 minutes that you see something actually changing inside of him. Because otherwise, he's a very passive individual. He goes through some of the worst things imaginable, which just keep piling on and piling on and piling on to almost an excessive level. But even during the screening, some some people downright left because of the awful things that's happening just the first half an hour of the film. And the rest of us, we, it's unfortunate to say, but we almost couldn't keep ourselves from laughing at some parts, but more due to the disbelief of what we were actually watching. And if it were an actual autobiography, something that's truly happened, it would probably lose that element. But since it's been revealed that it's, not entirely true what's been told in this film and seeing this young guy going through really just terrible things it's it's just too much it's just too much it's too dark without an actual portrayal of that change through the protagonist so that's my main thought on the film uh, I, there's so much here to, to discuss and the one word that repeatedly comes back to my mind is the word controversy. I can't even remember the first time someone introduced me to this film or, or, or what this film was going to be, or even a trailer or a poster. As Nicola said, the first big instance was at Venice. But the, 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 just the word that traveled throughout this chorus of just repulsive nature is the word controversy throughout the film. So even before this started, you have the novel, which has then been repeatedly debunked to assess that maybe these certain things didn't happen to the author during his childhood. Thankfully so, but to that person, but there's no doubt that these actions weren't taken by by other, other people, which is it's sort of a heartbreaking sentiment to behold. And then you've got the idea that the director, Mahul, tried to get this off the ground for 11 years because the author never wanted this to be a feature film, which then begs questions knowing that the novel's been debunked, is that there's going to be sort of a newfound flavour of, of controversy once again. So going into this, this is just a film that garnered so much publicity through controversy that it sort of set this, <laughs> this, this, uh, this festival run ablaze. So I missed, I, to get to the point, I missed this at Venice through no fault of my own. And I picked this back up on my watch list at Glasgow Film Festival. A great selection of independent film there. But this is the one film which carried on from last September to early March that I was just gunning to watch. I couldn't find it anywhere. It wasn't available anywhere. No festival runs. And usually Glasgow is the last sort of place where you can get some good stuff that comes out from Venice, like Blanco and Blanco and stuff like that. So I'm not going to say my expectations were high, but I just wanted to sort of indulge on what these controversies are and on reflection from the film this is this is a feature that is engulfed by that word and then I, I don't i give it a relatively good good score on my letterbox and I, and I reviewed it for the site but I, I on reflection of what nicola said i think i i may be on the other end of there where i've sort of been left not in a more positive light, but I, I've I found this to be sort of more of a I'm being more repulsed by it. The fact is, for 169 minutes, it is a consistently diabolical thing to watch. On every every sense of the word, it puts the audience through terror unimaginable. And the visual element, you just feel like, and 
just just to go on to the point though, I, I get to get to the point, but it's a film that keeps you as a witness that you can't escape from. And while while contextually and, and subtextually should I say, consciously that is a marvelous film for the director to do. It's not a film where you find redemption. You're not watching it to be redeemed. You're not watching it to think, well, it's good to see this story like arise and there's this positivity here. There's just nothing to be found regarding the word positivity. And before long, like Nicola said, you, you just you just bulldozed with depictions of just gruesome violence on every stage. I mean, there's eyes gouged out, there's bestiality, there's in, in incest, there's rape on numerous occasions. I mean, the, what, the, the, there are positives regarding the film itself, but just the context of the film, it's, it's such a daunting thing to behold. So I can understand why the, the right-wing press get, grab a hold of it months before it comes out. And it's just this clusterfuck of, this is, the, this is one of the most frightening films ever made. This is just one of the most grimmest films ever made. And to that, if you want to be defined by that as a filmmaker, that's, that's fair enough. The film's garnered enough publicity to live a life through that, no problem. But it's the fact of after that, when that dies down, does it survive? And to, to that question, it's yes and no. I mean, the filmmaking, I think the cinematography is relatively good. I mean, it's shot in monochrome exclusively throughout. And while that is slightly emotional manipulative, granted the scenes itself are terif terrifying to watch. Again, on reflection, I don't think this film could have been shot in any other way. The depletion of colour maximises all terror. I mean it's sort of the opposite well not really it sort of works in the same vein as Schindler's List does where there's just that one scene of colour and it emphasises the, 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 the consciously the character Schindler himself there has to be something to be done here there's no colour here there's no hope here whatsoever even in the last few scenes when you think there's going to be sort of some some form of hope that that boy's never going to be seen the same again so I can understand the filmmaking prowess of it, and to that, it's it's relatively good. I think the score's well done, if it if it's there at all. Um, I think it's shot beautifully, like I said. But I think the edit from Ludek uh, Hudek, which I've butchered, I think that's weighted per perfection for almost three hours. I didn't really find myself to be bored. I, I but then again, with, with the violence in itself, you're always wondering whether this is going to be a thing of, of nature by the boy himself or there's going to be something beyond all else that will rescue him so you're always in, you're always invested in wrong, but it's never boring per se it's just incredibly elongated to certain scenes with Barry Pepper and Harvey Keitel and Stellan Skarsgård who, who pop up here in the and um, uh, Udo Kira is in one or two scenes I mean his, his particularly are terrifying um, but it's a film that just doesn't need to be that long. If, if that's the point, I get it, but it doesn't need to be that long. The one thing I came away from here is, again, the cinematography is terrific throughout from Vladimir Smutnev. I think he captures the, the landscape and the emptiness of, of, the, of the setting quite well. But the one thing is Petr Kotlar, the young child. I think he's mesmerizing in here and he's exclusively mute throughout the film. For an actor of that age and with that limited capacity of capability i think he outshines everything in this film i mean at the tender age the, sh the range he showcases is phenomenal and it, it's it's not a film where you, you know you can film and you can forget about it. it must be horrific to go through as a child and with that vivid imagination i think that'll probably live with him for a long time um 
just thinking about what you see about actors, you know, taking on the toll of filming this film or this film and that film. And, you know, it was, it was psychologically harmful to them. I just, I just worry about that child after filming this, obviously there'll be multiple laws in place. Don't get me wrong, but <laughs> just trying to get to the point again about the pen and bird, does it live past beyond its hype and its, and its controversy? I think it does but to an extent where it just becomes so self-indulgent and so intoxicated by its own brutality, whoever does stay beyond those three hours, they will get something from it. But it's the, the, the thing in question is how many of those people will stay. And I don't think there's going to be a lot of them. The Painted Bird is a film that I think is very deceiving for multiple reasons. The technical elements are flawless. I mean, the cinematography, as mentioned, is beautiful. But also the production design, the costume design, I found this film visually in every element just blowing me away and just being incredible to experience. Um, and on a primal level, absolutely seeing this torture to all these characters and the pain and suffering they go through is captivating on a deep level. You can't sit there and watch a child get whipped and not, you know, have some kind of emotional reaction to it. If you don't, then you're a sociopath. Um, like there's just no way around it. But I found that deeper in the film, I found myself just getting bored simply because I don't think the film does enough to make me care and be captivated by the story. Apparently I'm going to bring this up every single week now, but a film like Grave of the Fireflies, I think is more haunting than this movie. And even though the actual visuals and the actual things happening to the characters, while horrific in their own right, are less, you know, painful and less just continuous than this film, is the moments of life and joy that make the film and the suffering haunting in that movie. In this film, void of life and void of joy and void of character development. I know you mentioned the boy, there's a choice to have him stay mute throughout the entire movie. All it did was simply make me care about him less than I would if you showed his emotional range as a child and him trying to have this childlike wonder to the world, only to see that be beat out of him through the world around him. I think that this is a movie that focuses so much on suffering and pain that it loses the light needed to really make that a haunting all around experience. Um, it's undoubtedly painful on a primal level, but I just didn't find myself being captivated on a deeper level really at all. And it was just a movie that <clears throat> for multiple reasons, whether it's the brutality or just not being that invested in the characters, I just had a lot of trouble getting through this movie. I think it's incredibly boring. Um, at the end of the day, even as someone who stuck around all two, two hours, 40 minutes, the entire runtime, I found myself not finding some kind of emotional catharsis or a thesis that made it worthwhile. I really wouldn't recommend people check out this movie for every technical element that's incredible. At the end of the day, the experience just doesn't provide some kind of breakthrough to make it worthwhile, at least in my opinion. Um, right, okay. Um, I honestly, I can, I can echo quite a, quite, a, quite a lot of what you just said, Carson. Um, and I've, I will actually begin with this. When this film finished, then my first thought was, wow, this really felt like three hours. Because, um, you know, like some 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 80 hour, 80 minute films, they feel like they never end. And, and, and then again, the Lord of the Rings just goes like this and, and, and it's all good. Um, but this one feels like, like work. Like it feels like a chore. And I think it's for a reason. Like this is, this comes back to the sort of structure of the film. It comes back to its narrative design 
and to the intention both of the author and of the filmmaker, I think. Because um, this comes predominantly from the fact that this film has no arc. The boy doesn't have an arc. It's, I think Nick, uh, Nicolo uh, hinted at this saying, well, these are sort of episodic sort of things that you can, they are almost interchangeable. Yes, they are. They are little vignettes with a framing device at, at the beginning. We have the burning house in the beginning where uh, he stays with, with a woman who presumably we think his, is his family, which turns out it's not. And then, then there's the end, the end, the climactic ending at the end, um, which is a, a, also a subtle climax in a way. But everything else is kind of um, interchangeable. And that's for a reason, because um, this film is not supposed to be taken literally. This is not an account of what Holocaust was like. This is not an account of what happened to anyone. And I think maybe this is where, this is where Jerzy Kosinski got into a bit of a problem if any of it even happened to him, because people kind of assume that if certain things kind of match with your with the author's life, that this is at least semi-autobiographical, because he was rescued by a priest, he was rescued, he was um, given a fake name, and he was uh, pretending to be an altar boy. That's that's all in the film. But these these are little things that kind of just you can tether to the author, but the rest is all fake. However, things like this as Jack said, things like this happened. And the point of this, I think, is to make the viewer aware that there's senselessness to the violence, there's senselessness to the torment and the torture, because it doesn't matter. Like, at some point, you just think, it never rain, rains, but, but it pours. Like, whatever happens to this boy, say, he will go out of, get out of one predicament, and he will just walk into a into a house and something something else is going to happen to him he's going to be um, introduced to a man and this man's going to be a pedophile or something like this and it's just at at some point it almost becomes comical right and i think this is this is where you have to realize that the fil the film is not be is not meant uh literally it's meant allegorically it's not even sim it's not even symbolism because symbolism in uh, sort of implies that there is um, latitude for you to interpret things in in a multitude of ways. And I think there isn't. There is one specific way one has to interpret this. And it comes back to say, I think, uh, how this the synopsis was sort of introduced, um, where, you know, it's a Jewish boy in Poland. It's not really. It's ambiguous. And it's deliberate, delib deliberately ambiguous because people think, ask him, are you a gypsy? Are you a Jew? Are you something? Because as though it doesn't matter. All that matters is that he's different than people around him. And it comes back to the title. There's a, there's a scene in, in where he meets, I think, one of the only people who are kind of not bad to him, um, who saves uh, the, the girl as, uh, assaulted by uh, village women, right? And then what he does, he takes a bird from his cage he paints it with a, with some paint, and they release it in, into the into the air, and all the all and just rejoins his little flock, and the other birds um, attack it, attack the bird, and kill it. That's an allegory for um, basically uh, how Holocaust happened, because someone painted a group of people in certain color, told told and told everyone that these people are rats, these people are vermin, and should be destroyed and the entire world turned against them. 
and that's what this film's about and that's and actually it, it is a great time for this film to be released because the world's basically at a precipice of another catastrophe like this because it's everywhere in britain we see this every day where certain groups of people like foreigners or muslims are being are being treated in the same way in america you have black lives matter is a movement for a reason this this all kind of feeds into this critique of dog whistle politics and what it can lead to and it's purposefully um, blown out of, out of proportion. It's almost it's almost ridiculous. It feels like a Lars von Trier film, but kind of just um, a bit more beautiful in a in a way because it's sort of directed by someone who grew up watching um, Tarkovsky and uh, Mikhail Kalatozov, right? Because this is where the cinematography comes into play because it just looks like a beautifully made Russian from, film from the 70s with its high contrast monochrome and wide angle lenses. It's just beautiful to watch, and at the same time. It's supposed to be an odyssey of despair. It's not a story. It's it's supposed to be a languid odyssey, and it and it's almost one of its biggest assets is the fact that it's kind of this way, and it's also its biggest detractors. But it's because it feels like it's it's a chore, and after two hours, you just think you've had enough. So it's it's a bit of a mixed bag in this way, and I can totally see say Carson's point where. Um, where you, at some point you kind of become detached from the violence, you kind of get, you just stop caring because it's just it, every, wherever this boy turns, shit's going to happen to him. And and it's also the fault of the source material because it's not really real. So at the same time, sort of, it's some more harrowing scenes I could find in The Pianist, which is a which is a real story. There's a guy called Władysław Spielmann who act, and this stuff happened to him. And that, you know, you can kind of relate to an actual character that is a real person that, you know, had to go through all this horror. Um, whereas this is, this is fake horror, but it's fake for a reason because it's allegorical. It's almost like a biblical parable about what happens when a group of people get singled out and, 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 the, and the rest of the world um, con is con gets convinced that these people are the source of all evil. Um, and it doesn't matter if he's a Jewish boy or a gypsy boy, or if it's in the, during the Holocaust, it, it doesn't matter. It's only there's these cursory little things that kind of point you towards where this could happen, because it could happen at any point in time. And I think that's kind of the point of this film, in a way that it's supposed to be timeless. I think, Jacob, you, you just, you sort of summed up everything I like about the film. And everything I have a problem with, I think the allegorical nature of it, I think I'm on board with that. I, I didn't sort of, even though the novel has had its issues, I think it works allegorically because of its nature and it's the fact that these things happened and most of the world does probably, even to the extent we do know, there's probably so much of this that happened to an extent that was hidden that was that were, that that these people went into towns, murdered, executed generations of people that, that had culture and story. So, to that extent, I, I appreciate the filmmaking prowess of that, and and to to that extent in itself, I quite like the episodic nature that Nicolo mentioned. My problem is that, that, that again, the word controversy keeps on coming up that in my mind, and as I said before on my previous point, once the controversy is taken away, what actually remains? And I think the word that describes that is just excessiveness. But understandably, contextually, it has to be excessive to get to, to, to sort of showcase its, its point. And I think it does that. 
there's terror showcased here and it's utterly frightening to behold. It's inescapable to watch. To that extent, it gets to its point. Where I have issues is, and to say this has been 11 years in the making, there's certain scenes here that somewhat undo the whole emotional impact that the film travels on. I think there is one scene where Stellan Skarsgård plays a German soldier and he's, it's, it's, it's not like it's been out for a while, so I'm going to spoil it, but I'm not just as a spoiler warning, if anyone's listening to this, hopefully you are. Stellan Skarsgård is ordered to take this young boy down this railway track and shoot him. Just get rid of him. He's, 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 a, he's a Jewish boy. Just shoot him. We don't need him. Let's just waste a bullet on him. And Stellan Skarsgård character just tells him to run, just go, and he shoots in the air twice. And it's that small little bit of moment of you're in the midst of, I mean, it's only like, it's like in the hour and 25 minute mark, maybe an hour and 30. So it's around at that time, if you're just watching it and you, you know, you're engulfed in the film, it, it does sort of work its way as an ending of sorts. So when the boy runs away, there's that sort of small moment of humanity. And it just, it, it, even in that, it's shocking alone because from what we're watching, it's, it's, it's a relief almost. And then, you you fast forward maybe 40, 50 minutes and then there's a scene with a very strange scene with a young woman on a farm revolving around the theme of bestiality and it just comes out of nowhere to a, to a shocking degree where it just it, it just pulls me out of the film just knowing how ridiculous that is I don't know the connotations of that scene I don't I think it's not very it's not explored very well Obviously, there's, there's damage there. There's psychological damage. But it's just, it's just so excessive in, it, in, its, in its nature. There's no vulnerability there. There's no, there's no nothing. There's, there's nothing the film teaches you. It's just showcasing a horrific act but for what feels of the sake of it. And unfortunately for me, that slightly takes away, as the scene before, as, as I mentioned, described about the Stellan Skarsgård, where it's so poignantly done then you've got something else that just feels so excessively aggressive. It, it tonally, it's just very strange why Mahul would put that in there. And then in the same breath, you've got Russian soldiers. And again, very similar to the Stellan Skarsgård, I enjoyed the scene. And when I say enjoyed, I, didn't, I wasn't there laughing or, or, or smiling away. It was just, it was a very intriguing scene to behold because it showed the, the, side, the side of the of the war where, you know, in, in, the, in, the, in the history books, the, 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 the victor always writes them. And you would, and, and again, to, to touch on the British thing is that our, my, my country, and, 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 and wait, I'm gonna, that sounds like EDL, I'm gonna change that. Living in the UK, we're told a certain history and trajectory that isn't always correct. I mean, the slave trade, is one, the Falklands War is another. We're only told snippets of history that indicate that we're the good guys. And I think what Mahul does here with the Soviet army is very interesting where it's retaliation on going into small villages. And, and, and I think there's an implication of rape and excess and then the, the villagers va- fight back after going through this war and the Russians then fight back again. And it's just this sort of recurring theme of retaliation, which is, like I said, it, 
it, it's so accurate to be described now and it's it's an it's a poignant and compelling scene but it's one of those scenes where it isn't completely engulfed in its nature it's almost like this subtle indication we don't really know what's going on and then we we witness it and then in the same breath for the last 40 minutes we have this scene of 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 after, after the war where we follow Peter Catala's character and it's just again it's like this excessive nature of getting to the point where we've just gone through these multiple scenes and like i said episodic it works but it just feels like it's constantly prolonging itself to get to a to a to a full stop and there's nowhere in this film where there is a full stop it, it just feels like it's never going to end and understandably contextually that is again a, a great narrative technique because for, for the character and the audience we need to feel that pain of this action is never going to stop but I'm just, I'm just. It's it's very strange to see what film this was going to be eleven years ago and what it turned out to be now. Because I understand the poignancy of it, Jakob, and I think it works. Don't get me wrong. I think I think you're correct. But this is so inaccessible for an average audience. You know that you have to learn. It. I, I, for for Bill and Ali this year, I watched a film called Golda Maria, where it's it's a it's a German woman. It's filmed in two thousand and three. I believe early. In fact, it might be the late nineties. She's an eighty-four-year-old woman. And she recounts through video to her grandson and her son the Holocaust. And, she, and, it, and it's it's not it's not the Schind, it's not Schindler's List and it's not the Painted Bird. It's an 86 year old woman just sat there, telling the story, and it's it it is one of the most heartbreaking descriptions of something. Not because we're watching Liam Neeson on screen that doesn't take away from it or anything. We're watching Barry Pepper shoot people. Um, or, or Stellan Skarsgård play a German um, soldier. It's that you're watching someone recount these via videotape, and it's again, it's inescapable, but it's also got that intimate notion to it. And as she she recounts these these stories, she talks about um, her children who she lost during the Holocaust. The actual, um, uh, I think she was actually Auschwitz. And the difference between Golda Maria and the Painted Bird is that that there's 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 definitely a point to Golda Maria. Like at the end when it's finished, it lives long in the memory because you're watching it from that, that, that word of mouth from the actual person who was there. And watching The Painted Bird, I just feel like I'm not only watching an excessive amount of grief and violence, but I just find that there's no actual voice there, if that makes sense. Understandably, I know where we're getting A to B and C, but I feel like it's a film without voice. We're, it just, it, we're just a witness. I don't know if anyone else feels the same. I don't know if I articulate my thoughts there, but it, it's not just a it's not just a Holocaust film. It's it's a film where it's it's the nature of people, and it's the it's the nature of indifference. And we you know, we're living in a world now where it's it's easy. It's, it just feels like it feels somewhat. I'm not going to say it feels tone deaf, but it feels like torture porn. It feels like hostile. It feels like Eli Roth made this. I don't. I don't find the poignancy enough in it. I don't find there's a voice in it enough, and I don't find myself walking away from it and, and understanding the message rather than that was horrific. And I don't. I don't want to be walking away from a from a film that that touches on more a moment in history that to not to sugarcoat, but which, and to, not to underwhelm in a certain word, but was horrific. But I'm left away just sort of talking about the violence and not from the from the action itself.
There is. Can I can unmute myself for a second? Um, do you know what? I think this is a this is an interesting point because I can totally understand how you could see oh the the film doesn't have a voice because it's very difficult to find it in there, but it's there. What what it has to say is almost kind of unconventional. It kind of comes back to the sort of original controversy you mentioned because the the bulk of the controversy isn't with the excessive violence or the sort of the torture porn um, sort of approach to um, on-screen violence. It's more to do with the fact that this is a very uncon. If you see it as an as a war drama or a, um, a Holocaust film, it's very unconventional in that um, in a in a war film or we tend to think about the Holocaust or the uh, uh, World War Two as a conflict with clearly defined good guys and bad guys, right? There's the Nazis who are who are evil, and there's the Allies who are good, right? So, and however, world's not black and white, right? World's made of shade, shades of grey, um, and this and the extreme of human experience. Uh, which the Holocaust definitely was, is nuanced, nuanced, right? It's very, it's very difficult to parse, and and this is why it. I think it's this is one why the book was so controversial because it's very easy to hijack a nuanced story that kind of tells you, um, that gives you this material and says, look, there's no good guys or bad guys. Everyone's fucking evil in here, right? Um, and because it's easy to hijack this and and just spin it the way you want it, this is why far right sort of uh, uh, circles could spin this in their own way. The far left could spin them their own their own way. Everyone could spin it the the way to kind of either protect their own tail or to just advance their own agenda. Because this is not even about the indifference; it's about the uh, sort of human hostility, right? It's about um, the fact that you can. In, in a situation like this, you can turn regular villagers, regular people against one another for no good reason, because I don't know, one girl was having sex with a teenager and they raped her with a bottle, right? That, that she wasn't the Jewish boy. In, in, she, was, she, she wasn't even, she, she was just, she did some, she was different. She was from out of the village. She was, she was, she was not welcome, right? This is, and even when you see soldiers on screen, you don't know. Where, it doesn't even matter whether you see Germans or Russians, whatever, because if you see someone on a horse with, um, with a with a rifle, you immediately think, "Uh oh, something's going to happen." Because it's not it's not set in stone that these guy these guys are good or bad. Every, everyone has like serves their own self interest. It's like a post apocalyptic wasteland, only with the caveat of this this stuff actually happened to an extent, right? Like, things like this took place and that's that's what this film's about i think and it's definitely dif difficult to recommend it to anyone i think nick or carson mentioned this because it's uh, you you need the sort of foreknowledge of um of this extreme situation you, you need to have read a little bit more about the holocaust you need to maybe have visited um auschwitz as a place to kind of have the sort of the vocabulary needed to have a conversation about this because it's it's very different because the, the movie does not do the heavy lifting for it it just gives you stuff and you have to process it yourself and 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 that's why i think it's very very easy for it to kind of just provoke a very um 
strange opinions, right? Because you can you can fall on either end of the spectrum, and then you can hate it, you can love it in, in a way, and you can be indifferent about it. And and that's because the, the filmmaker and the author they just don't give you anything to work with. They work on an allegorical level, and they assume you know. And that's its, I think that's its biggest problem. Yes, I agree completely with you, Jacob, on this last point. It's it's a hard film to judge. It really is, and it's harder to judge because you can tell that every choice is calculated. Everything is thought out. It wasn't just made on a whim. There is choice. There is purpose behind what the director made, writer and director. But it works for immersion, but it's either going to be something you accept or you don't. And by the end of it, you truly go numb while watching it. Um, and it's just so dour that it does not leave you with anything in a way, except the darkness. By the end of it, you do not get catharsis. You do not get light, which isn't something that we need to have in every single film, of course. But since the director himself ex um, explicitly said that was one of the things he was trying to convey, by the end of it, I did not find this. And I, I, I was reminded while watching it of two films, um, Marqueta Lazarova, which is a Czech New Wave film from the 60s, I think, and Come and See, which is a classic war film. They are very similar in structure and in content even uh, with um, The Painted Bird. They are historical dramas. They uh, Come and See is about World War II as well. You see wartime atrocities, you see rape, you see brutality. But what those films have, I think, compared to The Painted Bird, is the ending. It is a climax. It's something worthwhile. It's something that gives meaning and purpose to the film. You get by the end of Come and See, and even if everything else was bringing you down, you're just wondering, where is this going to lead? And it leads to an incredibly powerful ending that gives meaning to the entire film and it completely destroys the concept of violence, the concept of hatred. You see atrocities committed by both sides in that film as well. And throughout The Painted Bird, I, I personally felt the shadow of that film just constantly over this one because you can tell that the director really loves that film and he was trying to make something akin to that. But by not having that that glimmer of hope, actual proper glimmer of hope, something satisfactory, something cathartic by the end of it, it truly left me with nothing except sadness and pure darkness, uh, which is something that even, like you mentioned, um, Lars von Trier does. It's, <laughs> Lars von Trier is known for shocking and controversial films, but that made me think of while Carson was talking that those films manage to have a bit of lightness in them. There is still, even in the worst ones, like, like more controversial ones like Antichrist or Melancholy or an Infomaniac, you still have some kind of hope, some kind of lightness, some funnier moments and whatnot. And I think that having a shocking content, graphic content is fine. I think the quantity, like Jack said, it almost does turn it into a torture porn film, which it's going to put off a lot of people. It has put off a lot of people. And I don't think it's even going to appeal to the torture porn crowd because it's just too long, too slowly paced. Um, 
it's a weird film to recommend. It's a film that many are going to appreciate. And I do think that allegorically, there is a lot of value behind it. And, and I have changed my mind. Like, I don't hate the film. I did. I was very much in the moment when I first finished watching it. But I don't hate the film. I really don't. And um, Carson said it as well. Jack, everyone said that it's, it's just wonderfully made. Just a wonderfully made film. But yes, content is just too strong sometimes to uh, overshadow some of those things. So, yeah. The thing I keep coming back to with this film is just how long it is. I think like, Jakob, you brought up some wonderful, like interesting perspectives on the allegories within the film. And even if this movie didn't want to give like a piece of light or if it didn't want to have like this huge conclusion that really wraps everything up perfectly, if this movie shaved off an hour of its runtime, I think it would have achieved every single thing it achieves currently. All that allegory could still be there, if not more powerful. Um, it's just, it's such a long movie. And naturally when movies are longer, you expect a larger conclusion to justify their length. And this is a movie that just goes on and on and on. Um, if this movie, I, I just don't see why this movie had to be two hours, 40 minutes long. It is just so long just to give a very weak point or you have to find an allegory within it that's only in a couple scenes that could have been just simply in an hour and 30 minute film and would have been more powerful without that. It just becomes bloated. And I think that's just one of the big areas where all those issues that I brought up, it really comes into play because you have two hours and 40 minutes just to sit there and just be in this space that if it was shorter, wouldn't feel like it's so just going on and on and on. And it wouldn't feel like you needed more of a draw to be invested. That primal interest and that primal investment in the pain and suffering could have worked on a much bigger scale. Um, so I just keep going back. I don't understand why this film is so long. And I think that's probably the biggest issue within it now that I'm actually thinking about it. Um, I agree it's not a horrible film. I don't think this is the worst of the year or anything. Um, I just, I think it is a film that had a lot of potential and has a lot of power within it, but if it would have been shorter or if it would have added <clears throat> more substance to be engaged by, I think either one, depending on what it focused on, whether it wanted to keep the runtime or, you know, create the allegory more strongly and more powerfully, I think either option would have worked to help the film, but it needed to choose one, in my opinion, at least. I, I think this is, this is the most important bit that you've just mentioned. Um, it is... If for all its for all its sort of positives, you know, the the cinematography that I just I could not get get enough of because I really love um, Russian cinema from from that period and say okay well mo modern Russian cinema as well is kind of a has this sort of heritage right when you think about say like Hard to Be a God this actually reminded me quite a lot of Hard to Be a God in terms of what it looks like um, but it is exactly one hour too long and then. When you think about this, this may be down to the fact that, as with many book adaptations, the film is very often a slave to its source material because the book has, the book can survive being composed of vignettes. Like you can just have a chapter being about one thing and it just goes to the other and it goes to the other. And then you don't care because you don't read a book in a span of two and a half hours. You read it over an extended period of time. So you can spend more time with the character and you don't have to have a, a defined arc. To, to go on the film doesn't doesn't benefit from this because you you have a specific window of time when you watch it and then this is why this is why this movie kind of suffers because it could have been maybe it didn't even have to have stuff cut out of the narrative maybe just condensed 
but then again we already had a film like this and it, i think it may may have even won, won an oscar maybe maybe we'll have to correct me on this but this film was called son of Saul, which is doing exactly the same thing taking um quote unquote air quotes a fake story like a made-up story put it putting put it in the holocaust sort of scenario and has a completely different sort of um, impact on the viewer because it's just instead of droning it's just constantly on and on and it's on your case it's in your face and it's and it produces horror throughout by overwhelming you with 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 this with this predicament instead of just um, having you sit through multiple sort of little vignettes so I think as a as a film it's probably you know it's impossible to recommend it's good that it was made but it it's well it will it will eventually drown in the crowd of better films about the same subject matter i think one thing that keeps on cropping up over its length and i think carson just pointed out there i think the episodic nature of the film while i think there's been compliments and negatives on by everybody i think the problem with it is is that because it's episodic i think subconsciously you're, you're sort of expecting the episode the episodes if you will to have sort of unique voices to themselves and to be a distinct palette or something different would happen but ultimately from a to b it's the same trajectory there's no arc it's just boy comes into an area um third party character joins him Chaos, violence happens. The boy lives with it for a few days in that area or a prolonged amount of time. Then something happens to that third party character and then the boy leaves and it's rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. So ultimately you're watching the same episode with a different setting, but the same principle and themes and there's nothing distinctive to it. This may well have been better as an anthology series, perhaps with The Painted Bird, with Mahul's... uh, first episode and then you would have directors of independent quality come in and and take this character or take multiple characters through the chaos of this landscape but but then i mean there's just there's just so much positive and negative in the same thing it's, it's almost like a seesaw of going up and down up and down up and down because there's so much i like here and and i appreciate I think the cinematography and the filmmaking prowess we've talked about, I think the, the reason why the director uses this sort of inter-Slavic language and, and, and doesn't put a certain German or Polish language upon screen is that we don't sort of, and, and like Jakob said, we don't automatically presume as an audience that someone who speaks German is the villain and someone who speaks English is, 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 is the uh, protagonist. I think there's this, the, that is genius to work as an audience. Um, but it's also one of those things that subconsciously works because you're then constantly second guessing who's on screen. You know, the, the, the person in in a, in a green army um, attire is not your enemy in certain scenes, but it is in others. I think it, it, it's it's interesting on a narrative level and, and an, an engagement level. But I just I'm just like sort of pulled away with the fact that where does Mahul go from this? I mean, where do you go from this? I mean, obviously, it's a bit. The sky's the limit from a controversial standpoint and publicity. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised that there's a few independent distributors and studios that come to him and, and would like the same sort of um, courageous uh, publicity. But 
it is an interesting palette to go from here because there's there's so much anger and there's so much venom and there's so much intensity and, and, and antagonistic behavior. I can imagine that this has burned quite a few people out, not just the audience, but the director himself. Let's move next to Gavin O'Connor's Finding the Way Back. Look, we're not going to make it all back in one possession. you got to just keep chipping away and chipping away. Take it to the rack. Let's go, baby. Let's go, huh? Let's go, son. All right, up, up, up. D up, D up. Let's go. Get your man, get your man. Get up in their faces. Get in their face. Bobby, Bobby, watch this guy. Let's get trapped. Traffic, taking charges, make our lack of size and advantage. He's six inches shorter than you. How does he make that shot? That's it. Beautiful. A former basketball all-star who has lost his wife and family foundation in a struggle with addiction attempts to regain his soul and salvation by becoming the coach of a high school basketball team. Jakob, let's throw this to you first. I have to be honest. I was coming into this film very excited because um, if you think about films like this, they're almost a genre unto themselves. This is a sports drama. This is um, you know, the sort of addiction uh, angle. This all, like if, if, if hearing the synopsis kind of gives you the idea of what to expect. And then the... Um, so you're not really coming into the film um, thinking that you want to be um, surprised by, say, a novel way that narrative could be could be a sort of a taken or the sort of direction of, of how the story could play out. You're there for the experience. And it's kind of plays almost like a halfway house between William Friedkin's Blue Chips and Hoop Dreams and Friday Night Lights as this sort of tries to be kind of both a sort of a solemn drama and a sort of um, like a genre sports movie about these underdog sort of team of uh, high school basketball players and their sort of, their, their sort of strive to greatness for lack of a better word. And as it, as it is, it is a little bit contrived but because I kind of like it at the same time and I don't like it equally because it succeeds on few on, on a few of these levels and then fails on the others and i think it may be down to the fact that it's i don't want to say poorly written but it kind of feels poorly written it's very well directed and very well acted but i think the story feels like it's it was written for Bob Zemeckis. Like it feels like it's. Um, have you have you ever seen uh, Have you seen Flight? Like if you if, if you if you remember the opening scene of Flight, it's basically this camera just pans down to a table full of, full of cocaine, and there's the heroin sort of filled syringe, and there's a naked woman, and there's empty bottles everywhere because the film needs to make it make you aware that okay the, the character is an addict he's an alcoholic and the same way this is kind of just portrayed in in here because he has to drink a bottle of vodka in the car and then he has to go and have a beer and then put another one in the freezer and then so it's just 
uh, or or he has to put a little beer in the little shower. So if like when when you, when you have your shower gel, and like when he's taking a shower, he has to have a beer with him because you kind of have to make a point that this man is an alcoholic, right? You can't just, it's very unsubtle. Like whenever they deal with cancer or things like this, there's always just like, like, like a bald kid in a, in a wheelchair somewhere in there. So it's very in your face about certain things. And I think Ben Affleck in his, say, let's, let's just say rightly um, lauded performance, he's doing his best to kind of put new ones in there. And I think Gavin O'Connor's kind of trying his best to kind of direct this in this sort of story into the right direction because they have these little character pauses and little nuances which I can't positively pinpoint whether this comes from Affleck or from O'Connor where there is a scene uh, um, where I think the uh, coach assistant um, admits that he has oh yeah his his wife is sick and he, he can't be a head coach because he has other things he needs to do and he says oh everyone has his cross to bear and and Affleck just doesn't say anything. He just pauses for exactly three seconds. He just sits there silently, as as though make, making you aware. Okay, well that's true. I also have my cross to bear as well. But he's not saying anything. He's just putting this in like this is subliminal. And then the the film's kind of filled with these little sort of nuggets of of nuance, which which I absolutely adore. But at the same time, it is kind of like watching flight about basketball if that makes any sense, because it's very sort of in your face, it's very ham-fisted, very sort of heavy-handed in dealing with drama in certain places. But at the same time, I, I, this is this is a concept that I kind of like to call, well, well, I, in my reviews when I when I write about films, um, I like to, to call this concept the uh, concept of earning your violins, because you know that this film is going to have this swelling moment at the end where everything kind of just falls into place and the team wins or gets into the playoffs and he sorts his life out and whatever. Like You know this is going to happen. And it's about the journey of how it gets there. So, and I think it honest, honestly, I think it eventually just, when, when these this sort of, everything falls into place, it kind of works. But at the same time, I'm underwhelmed by how um how mundane it is it is otherwise if that makes any sense i feel that gavin o'connor throughout his filmography always makes a good average film i mean pride and glory in 2008 um, he had his touch of glory with warrior which got rather into international acclaim especially putting uh, joel egerton and uh, tom hardy on the map and then issues arose with jane got a gun coming at last minute and then of late, the accountant game with uh, with Ben Affleck, and I think we can put the accountant and this back to back, and I think they have probably the same issues. But for me, it would be vice versa. So I think in the accountant, I'm not particularly fond of Ben Affleck's performance, whereas I think the direction's rather good. Here, I think it's Ben Affleck's part performance that's excellent, and it's the direction that's not particularly good. And what I mean by that is I think this is this is a film that if it was seen or it wasn't, Ben Havlick had to make this purely to, to get a point across. And I think to go on, a, on, on rather dark themes, I think his alcoholism, which is openly talked about quite a lot, and he, I mean, it's been reported on, so I don't feel um, disrespectful bringing this up, but it's, of, it's often not being a point of comedic embellishment 
both in the entertainment sector and anywhere else or he's just an alcoholic he's a has been i mean primarily one of the the big reasons why he's, he's, he's left matt reeves as the batman or the batman character in the uh, uh dc franchise is purely because of this addiction being um, taking its toll on him and i think this is this is a film that he needed to make for himself and with that his performance i think is as touching and and there's um heartbreaking as it is i think it's 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 a stellar performance that i mean maybe too early but it's 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 it, it's a good conversation to have for an academy award at this point because i think i think i'll get on to it in a second but i think he puts forward an incredible performance that being said i think like i said before his alcoholism on another point is 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 it's become a joke on film twitter and i'm, I'm not directing this at anyone in particular but the constant memes of him having a cigarette outside the constant sort of and the constant like comedic embellishment of, of, of his, his spiral is, is, is just like a contention for comedy everywhere. And I find it quite distasteful. Often than not, these people, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a hidden sickness as well. I mean, you can hide this. And I think the film tries to explore that. And I know Jacob was making like um, points about that, about the, the, it not being very subtle. And I, and, I, and I can see that because it's one of those films where it, it, it's probably looking at the average audience member rather than a highbrow audience. And that's no disrespect to the, to, to the lowbrow, but it's, it's a film that has to point, it has to, it has to take you through it at every stage for you to probably understand that it is a ticking time bomb. And I think to that extent, for me, it works. When I see the, the, uh, the beer in, in, the, in the shower, I'm not really left there thinking, oh, well, that's quite on the nose. I'm generally left there heartbroken that someone has to do that they have to do that to themselves because it's an addiction. I think it's, it, it's, it's a good film to explore the ideals and, and the sort of psychological imbalances of an addiction itself. And I think that then provides Affleck with room to maneuver and put forward the performance he gives, which again is outstanding, but the filmmaking prowess of it, just to get on, not to contradict myself. I think there is a problem there because it's not a film that wants to, explore the actions per se it just wants to explore um i wouldn't i, don't, I wouldn't say it wait uh, maybe not i'm talking to myself here just for a second but i think that it's a film that doesn't want to explore the actions it just wants to explore well i say it, it doesn't want to explore the trajectory of the actions it just wants to be in the now so it, the film often sees him becoming drunk on occasion but we never sort of except for maybe three occasions. And even then it, it sort of just cut short is that we see the result of those actions. And I think that's where the film gets it wrong. I think it's, it, it, I don't, I don't want to watch. And I don't know, maybe I shouldn't say that. I don't think an average audience want to be put through watching. And we just spoke about the pain and burden might be a poor example, but no one wants to be put forward to watch utter bleakness on screen. But I think with something as profound as this, I think you can go the extra step of, and the film does do it, and not to ruin spoilers, but it does do it towards the end where Affleck's character's actions put him in a position of grave danger and put others in grave danger, but it's only showcased once. And I think throughout, there's many occasions to get there. And ultimately, the last thing that Affleck's character has to go through is the one thing he's been working, you know, the way through the film. So contextually, yeah, I get it. But it is one of those films where it wants to sort of carry you through it gently and not really get stuck in deep. Like 
it's, it's an easy comparison to make, maybe not, but if you look at Aronofsky's Reckon for a Dream, that's a film about drug abuse on every single level imaginable. This is not a film about alcoholism on every single value possible or every single element possible. It's just a man who's struggling internally and it isn't really explored to a great, great degree, but perhaps that's a film that's trying to get award recognition and not go down that Reckon for a Dream avenue of shutting people off. Obviously, COVID-19 has not particularly helped its chances on a, on a forefront of um, of getting a cinematic release. I mean, it has been, but it's been pulled. So it's just a shame. But going to, back to Gavin O'Connor, I think this is most definitely a Gavin O'Connor film. I mean, you have that, you have like the, the ultra wide shots and you see the, the blue collar man working his day. And then you have sort of this swelling score. And then you have these close ups. And I think, I think the reason why Affleck and him get along so, so much, because I think Affleck has that in his films. I mean, the town is a prime example. And I think, um, Gone Baby Gone also has reflections of that, where it's a character-driven studder. And to that extent, you could probably say it's slightly conventional. But for, for what it is, I think Gavin O'Connor does a really good job of this. I think it, I, I think he'll never hit the heights of the warrior, or warrior, should I say. But here, I, I'm, I'm, I, I was pulled in throughout it. I was heartbroken by this trajectory. I mean, the, the finale to the film, I think it's not a double-edged sword. I think it works, but it's also quite anticlimactic in the fact that no one seems to have a, a, a repercussions of their actions. But I will say this, 90% of the film, I think, is, is, is a strong, strong, more than average rating. It's, it's a strong film. It's, it's very good. But Gavin O'Connor chooses to end his film on a basketball court in what looks like the Dominican Republic with one of the worst executions of a CGI sunset I've ever seen in my life. It's like, I know, I, 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 this is probably the rarest time I'll make mention of this on the podcast, but it reminds me of the Wachowski's Matrix Revolutions with this finale where we see a sunset. And it works contextually because in a world where it's green and blue and, and often and sometimes yellow, depending on where, uh, the program or not, you haven't got these beautiful colors to exercise. And then finally, when we see it, I mean, we spoke about color with a painted bird. It's an interesting technique to, pr to provoke and elevate the scene in question. Maybe in the Wachowski's film, it works well because it's the first time you're seeing it. But in, in the, the way back, or finding the way back, should I say, it's, it's so condescending and it's cheap to, to beyond belief. But it's also unnecessary. It doesn't need to be conveyed like that. And I think that's, that's what you're trying to say, Jakob, and that's where I agree with you, where there's certain elements filmmaking-wise where it's just, we, let's just hold back. Let's just show it organically. Because it gets to the point far more poignantly, and emotionally conviction and the, the thematic weight then is is brought into a, into a point where it feels natural and like I said, organic and authentic. Whereas that final scene, it just screams nineteen fifties Hollywood to me. It's so abrupt. It, it doesn't. It, it, on a film, Ben Affleck does what he can. He does what he can with it. And even I, I don't want to bring anything about Ben Affleck again because I, I, I can't sing his praise enough. But that final scene for me, I just thought was. Just, ridiculously poor and for for a director of Gavin O'Connor's capability I just didn't know what, what he was thinking yes I definitely agree with you Jack um, it's a technically competent film directions pretty solid throughout but the ending it just they didn't know how to end this 
which is very, very unfortunate because I am not a fan of sports films in general. I don't seek them out. Uh, when I watch them, I rarely love them. I do appreciate some of them. But what I found really special, not unique per se, but special about this film was that it's more of a character study. It's less about the sports and it's more about the actual character that Ben Affleck plays, this Jack Cunningham. And that is an angle that I really appreciated. It makes it more personal, um, especially tying it in, like you mentioned earlier, with uh, Ben Affleck's own problems. That's, that's the most powerful thing about the film, knowing how, what Ben Affleck has been going through or has gone through. Um, you do feel that he's trying to find the same redemption, the personal redemption that Cunningham is trying to achieve. And that makes the film very profound. But then you have something that, you st that still hasn't been mentioned, that is the basketball parts. This is still, after all, a sports film of sorts. And those basketball moments were unfortunately very cliche. They try to avoid them. They try to avoid some of the more classic cliche, you know, the underdog team, the, you know, the one with the father who doesn't believe in the kid, the one who comes from a broken family, all those kinds of things. They try to avoid them by focusing more on Ben Affleck, but those elements are still there. Those elements still come off as something that they need to have, but they, I think they could have ditched. It's one of those interesting occasions where I feel like they had to put them in. They couldn't have this film without focusing a little bit on the team and on the players and how them, they can change Ben Affleck's character. But by the end of the film, I still feel that a lot of the change, a lot of the more interesting parts come from Ben Affleck himself and everything outside of the basketball court. That's what lingers with the audience. That's what makes the film worth watching. And those basketball scenes, the team itself, it's highly forgettable. I don't remember a single character outside of that one kid whose father doesn't believe in the basketball being a career. And everyone else just blends together. It's it's kind of messy, but then again, that's not the focus of the film. The focus of the film is Ben Affleck, his character, but this is still part of it. And I think that for me personally is what brought it down from being a truly great, interesting character study to something that has shade, shades of greatness, but could have achieved something more if it were a, a, a even more focused than it already was on the main character and if the ending was a bit more polished out and delivered that final emotional punch that it needed. Your comments, Nicolo, about sport and the basketball element are really interesting to me, and I have a slight theory on this. I think the reason why basketball as a sport has been chosen is because in this current time, it has the least amount of controversy surrounding it. I think... There's already been films made about um, alcoholism in the uh, baseball sport. And I think the baseball is one of those f f sports where it's, 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 it's a universal thing, but it's mostly South America, North America, and Japan. And it doesn't really travel most, uh, most territories. And I think the reason why they don't touch on American football, which this is probably more appropriate to, is the ideal of not then getting sued by the NFL with the concussions and the CTEs issues. I think that's one massive reason why, they, and soccer is not, it's just not huge over there at the moment. 
Um, it is in minorities. I, I know that in uh, uh, in Chicago, uh, it has a lot of Mexican-based fans and a lot of um, South American-based fans, whereas uh, the average, I don't know, like white person is into sort of like these ultra-masculine American uh, things like American football. So I think it's also like a, a cultural thing as well. So basketball is a very interesting element. I think it's the one thing they do is because there's no controversy there and very far in between it would have been um i don't know where we're going there it, um i think it's one of those films where it, it it doesn't sort of beg a question then of perhaps is the sport the result of his alcoholism whereas with concussion there is there's a reason to have that and within baseball there's also a reason to have that it's also interesting why they didn't do a hockey element here but i think that that, that rough guy image that ultra masculine image through hockey sort of then questions the fact well He's just, he's just, he's just, a, he's just a man. Like, 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 I think it comes then at the question of, or it begs the question of, he should get a grip if he's in that sport with Rivergarden hockey. But that might me just be talking out a question. But I don't think the film's too inside baseball. Ironically, I don't think it's too inside sport. It doesn't sort of hold its ground within the basketball realm. But I do agree with you, Nicola, very quickly, is that the fact that it's a film that takes it half as its issue but it never actually gets to the point of the basketball subplot none of the characters within that realm are interesting they're just there then to pro pro provide the sort of cultural assessments of the alcoholism that's what the character's there for about his swearing about his attitude he's not particularly fond of these kids he does it because he feels the need to recuperate that or reciprocate sorry that love and passion that was bestilled in him, but their performance doesn't really replicate that. If that's the intention, that's sort of like, I, I agree with you, but I think that basketball is solely the reason because it just doesn't have any sort of excess issues that come with that sport that then begs the question of, well, is that result of it? If that makes sense. I think it's more of a, an issue of not then getting, sued for millions and millions of dollars i think it also just could be to help this film stand out i mean this is a film based in its cliches there's countless other sports movies especially i know a ton about american football that take this premise of a washed up coach battling his own demons he helps the underdog team rise up like this is the entire movie basically is one big giant cliche um, chances are you've probably seen this movie already, even if you haven't seen, you know, the film it actually, like the film itself. Um, though I think it works a lot in the performances. We mentioned Ben Affleck, but also the kids. I think despite them having very cliched characters, there's a natural just charm with them and the charm with the team where it flows really well together. And I found myself just enjoying the charm of this movie. And even though it's not saying anything necessarily new, I found it saying its message in a very effective way to where, yes, this isn't a groundbreaking movie. It was entirely possible to watch and enjoy um, but I find it interesting that you mentioned the third act and not having consequences, because I think that is the one point in the film where I think it breaks a lot of the cliches. Um, not to get into spoilers, but there is a consequence for Ben Affleck's characters, um, an action he makes. There is a consequence that I was waiting the entire third act. Oh, they're going to redo it and they're going to go back on their word and they don't, which I think is a really bold choice and a choice that I didn't think was interesting or a, excuse me a choice I thought was interesting and a choice I wasn't expecting 
um, I think that is the one point where it really shows there is consequence that cannot be redone. Like even if you turn your life around and even if you have this great soul and this great heart to you, your actions still do have consequence. Um, and I found that to be the one point in the film that it really felt like it was making its own voice and really going in its own direction, unique from the cliches. Um, I think this is a film, though, that overall just has like a shocking amount of comedy and charm to it. Yes, there are those heartbreaking emotional moments. Um, but I found this film just to be one with like a real life to it that made it to where even though it's highly cliched and it's not saying anything, like I said, necessarily new, it's extremely watchable and, you know, shockingly enjoyable um, and inspiring in that sense. Um, if you are a fan of sports movies with this, you know, premise, this, like I said, don't expect anything groundbreaking, but I think this is something that's easily one of the best examples of this genre and this cliche being told. And I think plenty will enjoy it just fine. Um, and just quickly speaking to the basketball, I like the fact that they don't necessarily get into these extended sequences in the games. I think the editing technique of showing the scores at the end was a very effective way to, you know, say, oh, this is what happened in the game. This is the narrative of the game, what this matters to the plot but without actually spending the time on it. So I think even non-sports fans or fans of just not basketball will be able to enjoy this film as it doesn't get too far into bringing a focus onto the sport itself. I think, um, I think we've all been kind of dancing around this sort of one uh, massive subject. Um, and, but you, Carson, basically just pointed out, pointed this out, I think, more um, sort of, straight on which is the fact that you know the film's kind of okay well it's a pile of cliches right well as i think i said in my own opening gambit is well sports films are a genre like so if you think about well jump scares are cliches in horror films no they're the, the expected sort of beats so there's the expected sort of things like in this this is something that this film should should be if it wants to follow the the, the template right so it's it's okay right if it's if it's done right, it's fine. What I think, where I disagree with Jack and I agree with you is then and is where the the ending is where this film's made because it subverts the expectation of the genre, as you said. Well, you like you know they're going to um, kind of avoiding spoilers. You know what's going. You think you know what's going to happen and it doesn't happen because um, well it it just kind of strays off the beaten track for a second. Um, and then the reason why I think it feels a bit like it's just uh, laden with cliches is because it's trying to be two films at once. It's one, a sports film, and one, the sort of character drama about addiction, right? All smushed into 108 minutes. And it kind of, in order to do, I think it tries to kind of juggle both of these at once. So it has to telegraph everything. So this is why like, I have a problem with you know having a beer in the shower because it's just you need we need to make you have three minutes to make the audience aware that this guy's a raging alcoholic so you need to have a beer in the shower guzzle down a bottle of vodka in the car and then have a vomit outside right like the, you know like that's pretty much what, they, what what you need right so it does these things in a very blunt way but it kind of adds up to to some sort of meaningful conclusion because these cliches are kind of like the sort of the dad and everything it's kind of taken from real life if you think about if you, if you ever watched hoop dreams which is a documentary you see yeah a lot of this stuff kind of happens like this is what parents are like some of them they don't like their kids to to, to play basketball because they think they want to have them to have real jobs uh so all, all these things are kind of just 
put in this little pot of this film and they, they are supposed to just make a narrative for Ben Affleck to, um, I don't know, to, okay, to use, to kind of have this profound experience that you guys were talking about. And this is, and it kind of works in, in, in the end, I think, I would say, even, even the schmaltzy saccharine sort of pull out sort of scene in the basketball court, I could take this. I, I could say, yeah, do you know what? It earns, it earns its sort of swelling moment. It's fine. Okay, because the the ending kind of comes together. Even though I can I can I can forgive it. It's beer in the shower, even because it's it, as you said, it subverted these expectations enough that I can say, do you know what? Um, it's not the best sports movie ever. Probably the recently best sports movie we could probably say it's Whiplash because it's about musicians, but it's but it's serviceable. It works and it tugs at the heart, heart strings and it has its heart in the right place it kind of just it's okay <laughs> for some for lack of a better word it's, it's all right and what i will say is it's elevated by i don't want to say gavin o'connor's direction but ben affleck's direction because i think he's learned quite a lot about being an actor by directing actors and directing himself in films and he commands this film and he will probably be in the conversation when the Oscars come around um, and probably even will, I don't know, get some votes because he just has a very likable persona and, and the, the whole, this whole, his character is is easy to get behind. And that's, I think that's the point of this film. It's not supposed to be hard on you for too long. It's supposed to get you off in a way. And it does that. I think one of the reasons why it doesn't double down though in its third act about repercussions, I think that's what I have an issue with, is because throughout the film, the, the, the narrative goes one way where it reveals a certain past to Ben Affleck's character's family that comes out of nowhere. And it's probably subtly implied throughout the film. And I, I hope it is on a rewatch because I think, I think that again elevates it. And if it is, then it begs the question of why the alcoholism isn't then subtly introduced which again, I think I'd probably have an issue with Gavin O'Connor's uh, direction, but it almost sets Ben Affleck's character as a man who has had the utmost pain uh, placed on his shoulders. And I think it doesn't excuse... It, I, don't think, I don't think that the actions of the film showcases excuses his behaviour at all, but I think there's it's difficult to sort of, yeah. well, then again, he gets, he gets what he wants the most eventually taken away from him. But it's all that thing about, I think the film implies there's some multiplications where it takes everything away from that character it can, even, even with, with the repercussions or not, and then the day it still takes away everything. He doesn't have a family. He doesn't have a, a wife anymore. He doesn't have loyalty. He doesn't have anything except for the bottle. And if that's what Gavin O'Connor is trying to say, or if that's me just sort of implying that, uh, uh, the A to the B, then I, I, I'll just go with the former and, and, and hopefully it's his direction. But I think the, the biggest problem the film has is it choosing whether it wants to explore the basketball element or uh, and journey, or it wants to explore the alcoholism journey. And by doing that, it builds up this sort of rapport between two, and it's like filling up uh, two bottles of, uh, separately of water and you watch them getting to the top. And what you want to do is that you want to try to get them half and half so it's just filling up, it's filling up, it's filling up. And then before long, you've got two litre bottles of water and you haven't got any more room. 
And I think this is, and it's just the film, it's got two different directions and both of them intertwine to a certain extent. But you've got two films here and I think the, the linking of them is slightly jarring for from a film fan. I don't think it needs the basketball element and I also don't think the basketball element needs the alcoholism to sort of elevate itself. So it's always combating each other. However, at the end of the day, as, as, as anyone can sort of look at this and say, well, it's just one massive self-indulgent project from Ben Affleck. I think that this is a, a work of utter catharsis. And I think you've got to bear in mind, I'm, and I'm also going to drop these names in because I did it a few weeks ago with IndieWire, but I, I, I'm tired of having these these horrible takes from people. Sasha Pearl Raver for Schmozno years and years ago used to describe Ben Affleck as getting off the wagon. Now, and again, I've implied it at the beginning of this conversation, but alcoholism in general is just this thing where it's 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 portrayed as this because 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 of its actions upon someone who then indulges in it, it's this party animal or this this fun loving person. There's sort of this projection of of that's what it does to people, where it's just oh, it brings the best out of someone, where it destroys people's lives, and people don't want to have that conversation. And the comment the comments she repeatedly used to make about it, and and sort of patronize this person who was clearly not has and has not been very well for a long time. I know it's believed that his brothers also um, had issues with this because their father was an alcoholic. I think this is great for the zeitgeist. But I also think it's great for what's happening now is that we're, we're having conversations about stuff now. And granted, alcoholism, while it's not the at the forefront of these conversations, it still needs to have, be have this conversation nonetheless. And I can't sort of thank Ben Affleck enough for bringing this forward because at the end of the day, on the, on the other side, the side of this topic is that this could have been an absolute disaster of the most self-indulgent prospect imaginable where Ben Affleck has a character that he's trying to perform as himself and it's just an Oscar bit but thankfully with a bit of nuance and a bit of a bit of strong direction I must admit I'm quite I'm quite um, I, I know I slated it a bit earlier but I think for the most part Gavin kind of puts forward a, a slightly better than average film for what he's capable of but I think Ben Affleck here is, is absolutely tremendous and I just hope that it's a conversation we can now have and it's a conversation that people who take the piss out of his affliction which has destroyed multiple things in his life, presumably including his own marriage and his relationships, that we can look at that as a, as a group of film fans and that the same thing happened with Daredevil all those years ago, that, that the man tried something different and he's just a man at the end of the day. And it's, again, it's, it's a projection of what audiences expect from these ultra godlike giants of industry, but we don't see them as human. And it's a dangerous, dangerous journey to go on because ultimately when something happens, you don't, you can't hold them accountable. And you also can't understand that when something happens where it's humanized, they treat them as, as just a piece of meat. So hopefully the same people who are taking um, liberties with, with alcoholism and Ben Affleck in particular can watch this and understand that perhaps a meme isn't the best thing to do because he's a man who's on the road recovery. And I think this film, epitomizes that road as an ongoing battle rather well so at the end of the day with, with, with the way back i think it's it's a film that perhaps he should have made but i don't think he was ready mature even mature wise to make this it's such a deeply personal topic for the guy 
And as I said, I'm not speaking for him, but it's clear within the depiction he showcases that this must have been a harrowing film to shoot for him. I can't imagine having to finish work on that and then going home. And then you know that that was once your life. So you're going from the past to the present and trying to fortify the future. I just find that that's such a fascinating notion for an actor to behold. But this is what Affleck's capable of. He's always had this ability where, I mean, the town was one way he showcased like great strength behind the camera and in front for the, with the sophomore effort. But I think Argo was the one where he was the one to watch. And since then, with expectation, it becomes sort of a frightening um, notion to have. But everybody's human at the end of the day. And I think this film can capture it's that wonderfully. I'll just jump in quickly talking about the awards conversation because I've heard multiple of us make, you know, hope that Ben Affleck could get in for best actor and have that conversation. I think this is a perfect like example of why I hate the new Academy eligibility. And I hate coming on here and hurting Jack's dreams every single week with the awards. I did that last week with Bad Education. Um, but already Ben Affleck is going to have trouble getting into the Academy. They, for some reason, well, multiple reasons don't like him. Uh, we could see that with the best director miss for Argo which is still just it makes no sense but it happened it's there it's history um but this is a film that came out at least in the u.s beginning of march around that time now with them extending the eligibility for two months pushing it back to where now films from i believe it's february 28th can get nominated this is a film that would have to stay in the conversation for an entire year calendar year just to get a nomination that already it was going to fight for and if there's one thing the academy shows unless it's a huge film like black panther or get out as just two recent examples that had this big cultural push and love behind it they don't really respect film and don't um, nominate films that are, you know, from that far back in the past. Um, so I really, as soon as they push it two months, this is one of those nominations I already had on the edge, but I immediately crossed it out of my predictions. Um, I just don't see a way, sadly, because he absolutely deserves it. This is, as you mentioned, an incredibly powerful role. And I think it says a lot about the character behind Ben Affleck as a person. Um, but sadly, I just don't see a way that they're going to keep this in the conversation, considering the conversation already around it. You know, this is a film, some respect, but largely it goes untalked about. You know, there's not a lot of people out there pushing the way back, saying it's one of the best films of the year, saying that Ben Affleck is one of the best performances of the year. Um, already, I think it's kind of getting lost in the shuffle, sadly. And I don't see a way it stays in the conversation up until end of February, beginning of March next year. Hopefully it proves me wrong. I think Ben Affleck deserves the nomination, um, but that's just my opinions on it right now as someone who kind of follows the Oscars. Yeah, it's going to be interesting come award season to see if this will be remembered. And I think it circles back to circle things back. I think it goes back to the point of this is just a fairly uh, standard film in terms of sports dramas. It had a lot of potential with the more personal aspect of, of uh, the alcoholism, the character study. It has those elements. It makes it more interesting. It makes it worth a watch, but it still falls under the cliches of the sameness that many other of those films have, which ultimately makes this, yes, something to recommend, but it's not on the top of the 2020 films list. I think of anyone right now, there's more and more good films coming out, better films, more interesting films, more unique films. So definitely give it a watch, mainly for Affleck's performance and some of the meta elements to it. 
but not for not if you're a sports fan, not if you are looking for a very deep and thoughtful character study. It's a mixture of both. It does everything pretty well, but it's not as special as it could have been. Once again, Carson breaks my heart on each episode of Graphic Cast we do. Um, regarding a film, it, 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 is, it is a performance that elevates the overall, overall feature. I just wish that this would have been given a, a further push, perhaps even beforehand, maybe, maybe this being a redemption story sort of patronizes what Affleck has worked for. And I think describing it as an that alcoholism um, film of Affleck, I mean, that's what it was described on before production. We, we have, again, not to go back on the society thing, but we have this idea of, I mean, again, I, I'm, 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 I'm at fault with this because I describe stuff as a Holocaust drama because it's equally the easiest thing I can, I can convey that everyone um, with, with a certain, with just with that, that's, with that, with that word knows exactly the depth of what I'm talking about. I mean, the connotations of uh, work for itself. So I think alcoholism drama, I think straight away, it, it sort of conveys those themes than any sort of a synopsis would do. But I think it's a film that's had an unjust life cycle. I, I just feel like it's a film that perhaps has had a rocky road, ironically, um, given the, the subject matter, and it just doesn't get any sort of breaks. I mean, I mean, I think, I mean, half of us here are talking about Affleck. I think he would definitely have got a nomination if that that doesn't happen. It looks more than not likely now, but I think this was a good good starting point for Affleck. But I, I to, to sort of go on this um, redemption story, but I don't think it is. I think maybe this would have been solidified, perhaps a little bit get a, a little better within the. Uh, industry if this was maybe 20 or 30 years further along the road but I think at the end of the day regardless if this gets an audience or it doesn't I think that I'm just very pr I don't know I don't, <laughs> it's not like I know him but I'm just very proud of the fact that Ben Affleck made this because it's not easy and, and a lot of us can say this it's not easy to sort of look in the mirror and say I need to stop doing this or to accept that you are living a life that you aren't happy with and I think it's easy to go on um, with not taking accountability, I think as a, as as, as self-indulgent as people may argue this is, I think it's a wonderful catharsis project that I'm happy to have seen, and and I hope that Ben Affleck just strives on that map of just making really good character pieces. I mean, he's he's working with Fincher next. He's got a lot of stuff in the pipeline. I think that everyone who's unhappy that he's not going to play Batman, I'm one of them. I think he gave a great performance both as Bruce Wayne and Batman, which is very rare. I don't think anyone since that, except for maybe Kevin Conroy is the voice of it, has done a decent job. But I think if this is a trajectory he feels comfortable with it, with, and he's making great cinema and he's making great tales, I'm happy to, to, to go for uh, anything else um, that's up this street, to be honest. I mean, to um, bring some finality to this discussion, I would probably say um, something that you guys hinted at, and I think Carson hinted at as well, you know, it it was a travesty that the guy was, and we 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 talk about this this film as though it's a Ben Affleck film, right? Like the name Gavin O'Connor was mentioned three times, and you know what? There's a reason for it. It's competently directed. It's com it's competently sort of executed, but it's a Ben Affleck film, and it kind of boggles my mind why 
especially given the sort of meta element involved in this, why or why or why didn't he direct it himself? Right? It should have been directed by him. It it's his film, and it kind of works where it works, and you know it it just I don't know. It's emotionally satisfying in a way, even though it's schmaltzy and it's fine because it's that's what basketball films are supposed to be, and that's what the sort of Zemeckis-esque flight-esque sort of you know, addiction dramas supposed to be. They kind of work on this fundamental level. If you can, if you allow yourself to be swept by this, you will you will be swept and it will work. And then it, maybe it should be in conversation in the Oscars, and it will be a tragedy that it won't be a conversation about sort of direction of Affleck's because he didn't direct it and that's a bit of a shame in a way because it's his film and you know you, you could you know take take it as it is you know, all due respect to Gavin O'Connor but I think he was dwarfed by this persona of Affleck who just took this project and internalized it and he took almost complete ownership over it and I think that's how it should be remembered don't you think? I mean, I'm, I'm the one who mentioned it about Ben Affleck not, not directing. I think, I think I am anyway. And the only sort of, I mean, the personal issues are undoubtedly at the, at the forefront, but just to have a conversation about it, I could just to entertain it. I think it is an interesting element to behold why he wouldn't have taken the reins for this because it's so clearly his story. But I think just going back to my previous point, I think there are steps, like, I think there's, all, there's always steps in recovery. There's obviously a 12 point plan. And, and then, you know, for sobriety, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's always a plan and you take it in baby steps. You should never run during um, go, going sober and going for the recovery. Perhaps it's just an element of the first step was looking into the mirror and understanding you've got looking at the person back and not being happy. And then this, the element after that is accepting the fact that you're an alcoholic or you're an addict. And then it's, it's going on the road of recovery after that. I think that perhaps him performing in this film and if he possibly um, was going to write it at one point and then directing I think that's all those three steps rushed into one and then then you're playing operation on yourself I think I'm quite I'm quite proud in the fact that again okay, I give saying I'm quite proud but I, I am genuinely um, in awe of the man that he, he's, he's restrained in the fact knowing that he can't do all those three anymore because, you know, he was at, at, touted at one point during Warner Brothers' little cycle. He was the writer-director. He was with Gone Baby Gone. He was with the, the town. And then Argo, he was the name on the block. He was going to be the person who was going to get that um, beloved uh, Academy Award win, which he, which he eventually didn't. But I think he's accepted now that that's too much for him to bear. And... I think it's always a good reflection of oneself when to know when to stop. And I think that's just, it goes back to his crusade about understanding his addictions, understanding why, where he, his boundaries and understanding to stop. So I, the only reason I can probably think of why he wouldn't do that is that point itself is the fact that he needs to, he's understood that he can't do all of them and, and the result of that will be a slip. And I, and I think it shows great maturity and I think it shows great, leadership on, on behalf of that to be honest okay. last but not least let's transition to the beach house when you see someone change in front of you and you know there's no going back it scares me to death 
No one's been here in months. It's beautiful. I love you, you know. I love you too. Does anyone need a refill? Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen this out here before? It's in the trees. It's all over. Something in the air. I felt a little lightheaded before. It feel good. A romantic getaway for two troubled college sweethearts turns into a struggle for survival when unexpected guests and the surrounding environment exhibit signs of a mysterious infection. Carson, let's start with you. You know, horror is one of those genres that's normally very hit or miss for me. That and Westerns are the two that normally miss more than they hit. So I really didn't know what to expect going into the beach house. And I think I'm actually probably the most positive as far as anyone here on the podcast today about it. I think it's a very competent like body horror film. It has plenty of gross moments that if you're like a fan of Saw, you're going to you know find whatever you look for out of those horror films here. Um, there's some interesting setups. I think it overall is like well acted, well directed, which is not the case for a lot of horror movies. Uh, the major thing to scout to me as like a negative is I think every like deeper element this film tries to like reach just fails. It has the issue that a lot of people had with a ghost story, which I wasn't bothered by a ghost story screenplay. But there's that scene where at the dinner party, the one guy's just talking and it's very blatant, like here is depth, here is philosophy. Now we're getting into this thing. It's supposed to give the film this meaning. The Beach House has, yeah, The Beach House, that's the title. Um, the Beach House has that same issue in a lot of the dialogue, where it's this very generic, like, horror dialogue. Then all of a sudden, it will transition into a dialogue scene where characters just spout, like, obvious philosophy, trying to give the film a meaning and trying to give the film a purpose. And I think a lot of the positive reception I see about the film is people, like, just buying into that because it has the appearance of depth. But at least from my experience watching the film, it really didn't connect on that level or give you the substance needed for this to be like an all-time great i think it's a competent horror film um, but really nothing special have we watched the same film <laughs> because i for a second i thought maybe i watched the wrong beach house because i, I i'm this is not a hyperbole i've watched pornos that are better written than this one like this is <laughs> this is just uh, how do i put it politely how do how do you how do you call something? Because I can't say it's competently done in any case. I mean, it, it, props. You have to start somewhere, and the guy who made it—that's his feature debut. You have to be acknowledged that you know, okay, he did one shot, and he used to be a location scout on a bunch of films. So this is a guy who's trying to make it in the industry. And you know, like Alfred Hitchcock start, started by serving coffee on set. So maybe we'll get somewhere. However, this isn't Citizen Kane. Okay, and. <laughs> And even as far as horrors go, it, I I was struggling to find a story in there. There isn't one. There is a there is a, a few premises. There's a few little nuggets of character that are there specifically to answer. It's for sort of exposition purposes because the main one the main character is revealed to have a degree in organic chemistry. Do you know why? Because she needs to be able to say, "Oh, there's a bottle of vinegar. I need to. I need to use it on on my on on my leg when I'm removing something from my foot. That's the only reason these things are in there. And it's all like there's a there's a drama between the two characters never explored. There's and as a result, there's no arc in there. There's just these people go into the beach house and I I, I think the the film's 87 minutes long minus four minutes of end credits and things start happening." like 55 minutes in, like nothing happens in this movie 
before that happened before before this moment and I, I I was just this is this is one of those things that you know just it just was an 87 minute film minute long film that kind of felt like I, I spent the whole day watching it because it's even in its sort of body horror there's exactly one or two scenes where there were just some competent special effects that are kind of interesting to watch and that's one of the one of the things I kind of liked about this the other one was um, a little foreshadowing scene where uh, the girl who has um, I don't want to say she 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 has this sort of default expression on her face at some point, like she smelled her fart, but she just looks like stra strange in a way. Like she, I I don't know why that is. Is this something that the director kind of told her to kind of just look like she's suspicious? I don't know. Um, but she walks down the stairs and she sees a woman at the at the table. I think she was I don't know if she was doing something with oysters. And then this scene is kind of reproduced later on when but something else happens to this character. So that's okay. Well, it's a nice horror job. So props to that. And there's one sort of scene where guy Mitch, so one of the characters that these people kind of meet in the house, decides to go for a swim and just the, the film cuts into this long take where this guy is center frame walking into the water and disappearing. So that's one sort of nice little thing to kind of just remember. But other than that, everything's kind of just cobbled together and just doesn't make sense because they just had this idea of, well, let's just recreate, I think, cabin fever and the bay, and but just not, let's just make it slightly cheaper and then with and, and let's put it on Shutter and then have a, the audacity to call it Shutter Original, which is not really original. And um, yeah, and just as I said on Slack, I think, yeah, it makes Artemis Fowl looks like Casablanca in comparison to, in my, in my opinion, it's just not good. I'm sorry, I, I just, I, I'm just, I kind of feel like Carson, I'm like, just, I just shat on your parade in a, in a way, but it, I just, I don't want to say I hated this film with a passion, but it just came very close, and I just could not possibly find too much things, too many things, and that would kind of redeem it in a in a way. It's it has I don't know some special effects that are nice to look at because practical effects are always something that kind of just I like to see in horror films, but it's just just boring and bad. Rant over. I suppose I'll try find a, a few positives, even though I'll have to um, admit before I go into them, there's, there's very few. The, the one thing I, I, I liked is I think that there's there's definitely an eye here, cinematography-wise. I think there's some decent wide angles. I think there's some good um, shots that we get to see. I think the intimacy and claustrophobia of the final act within the house is well executed. And that's probably me done in that, on, that, on that regard. Um, I don't, uh, let's try to find a positive. No, let's not try to find a positive. Let's just go straight into it. This isn't, this isn't a bad film, right? This isn't a terrible film. This isn't the worst of the year by no means. But this is bottom of the barrel in every element, aside from what I've just mentioned throughout. I mean, the performances are just dire there's no character investment the lead actress the, the the young girl in it she shows sort of no idea of a persona or 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 in that way a personality there just isn't anything there to keep you to, to keep you here the idea of them being there is ridiculous the fact that these two other people this couple are there they're also both wooden and it comes down to 
presumably the, the screenplay, which I think is just a bona fide um, computer-based system that wrote it randomly rather than actually give it any concrete investment. I mean, for some reason, the, the, the film writes the, the lead actress in a way that she's always self-referential and, and going back to her, either a personality traits uh, in, in, in quote, air quotes, whereas the, every time she says something, it always relates back to her scientific ideas of what she's studying. And then that then emphasizes to the audience, well, yeah, she's quite smart, understandable, understandable she's, she's doing science. And then it just happens to be in a science, science fiction film where whatever she's talking about tends to be the thing that happens on screen later on down the line. I just thought it was so derivative of itself. Everything that she mentions in the film, it's just foreshadowing to a point of oblivion. And I just found myself throughout the film, that, that I mean, we spoke about Relic, um, Natalie Erica James's directorial debut a few weeks ago. And we were talking about this new wave of Australian horror with Babadook and, and um, you know, The Nightingale and, and with Relic, of course. And you look at the standard of horror here and it just isn't good enough. And we're not talking about films that um, are completely at odds against each other with a budget, but cinematically, this is leagues below Relic, leagues below. The body horror element, which I was somewhat excited to go into after, you know, ideas of Richard Stanley's The Color of Space, which took ages to, to come out, uh, which was given, we were given a somewhat outstanding portrayal by Nicholas Cage, than, you know, previous year with Manda. So body horror is sort of in, in at the moment within this cinematic uh, industry. And to say that the execution here is dire is also an understatement. It's just not utilised enough. I mean, horror tropes are here, don't get me wrong, but it's just, there's no sort of exploration of its ideas, of its, of, of its, of its conventions, of tropes. There's just nothing here where it's immediately entertaining or exciting. It's a drive script from start to finish. The characters are uninteresting. There's this awkward sort of monologue within the first act about them having sort of edibles that just felt like a 17-year-old kid had wrote and it was funny to him and his friends or her and her friends rather than it making any difference to the plot. Well, I mean, what was the reason for that to convey whatsoever? I mean, in general, what's the reason for, for them to do anything? I mean, the, 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 the shot that Jakob speaks of, which is actually well well shot and it's, it's actually quite eerie for some strange reason, but it's just at the end of the day, you're watching a very strange performance of a character, which I think is dire because it's just uninteresting beyond belief. And he's just swimming symmetrically into the water and then he disappears. And if that's sort of then, I mean, before that contextually, there's reasons for that, that no one's very well and stuff, stuff's happening. So again, I get why it's in there. But, but the reflection of that is that whatever reason it was, it isn't conveyed very well. And then you get to the ending. And I was, and, and, and I have the same sort of issue of color out of spaces where you, there's only one natural way you can end this and it's everything goes to shit. And the color of space does that to a certain degree, but then happily goes a different direction somewhat in, in the end. Whereas this has, that this goes exactly the way it should do. And even then it's convicted poorly. It's just, it's just contextually it's poor. And then looking at its contemporaries, I think it's probably e even worse because it's not, it's not poor. It's just so disappointing when you have stuff like Relic out there 
that's fighting for this mantle and should have chosen to, to, to the beach house. I just think I'm not particularly sure why the investment was made into this because I don't think the direction is very good either, even though I don't think it's poor. It's not even middle of the, the, the road. It's poorer than that. It's, it's, you have, you have middle of the road. You have your average, like we spoke about with The Way Back. It's an average film, directorial standpoint. This is lesser than that. It's, it's a midway between that and just poor. It's just so... It, I want, in body horror, I want horror ex, to, purified to an extravagant degree. I just want it to go crazy. And this does that, but it takes so long to get there. And it's not particularly executed very well investment-wise, entertainment-wise, and to be engaged. And at the end of the day, not to go on and on, but if you can't hook me, you can't entertain me, and you can't give me the simplicity of horror tropes, ultimately, for a horror in general, you've done a very poor job. I just, when you just said, in body horror, and and I want and you just listed what you want in body horror. I just thought I just thought in body horror I want body and horror and this thing has neither. Like this is this is just you know when you, when you were just saying about oh how the, the there's there's some so many stupid sort of um, writing choices like the edibles. That's that has that that has this one reason to be there because you want the characters to wander around so that they can launch the story that's the only reason it's there and it's stupid and it's retarded and it's just not good and <laughs> and if you just think about this there isn't <sighs> okay fine you, you can have a horror film that's just ev it, everything ends and goes to shit fine have it but everything else just does not it's not earned in 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 the slightest these you Part of the re reason so many horrors work and some 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 horrors work and some doesn't don't is because you put the characters through the paces and you make them you torture them a little bit and then they earn their survival in a way and this shit does nothing of, of the sort. This woman just solves everything like like MacGyver and doesn't even just I mean she she gets her foot scratched I guess but that but that's pretty much it like nothing else happens like because there's not enough characters to be lopped off there's literally four people in the film and they're all shit uh, and, and and then on top of that you have these weird artistic choices like at the end you have this sort of weird surreal sort of ending how everything fades into red comes out of nowhere and even the symmetrical shot that i kind of like it's kind of like out of a different it's kind of like out of the invisible man right where all of a sudden, you, you just, I don't know, director and writer. And by the way, I checked on IMDb. This film was not, after all, written by an AI. It was written by Jeffrey Brown. Or did, or was it? Or was it? <laughs> but, but, but if you think about it, this, this scene that I actually like, felt like Jeffrey Brown had to step out to the loo and then one of his mates just took over for a for 15 seconds to, to direct the shot and just came out brilliantly because I kind of have a feeling like I looked through the, the guy's resume and he's he's was a location scout on like the Wolf of Wall Street or um, like two days in Paris so he he kind of worked on projects with pretty big names associated and clearly he wasn't on set because he was scouting locations and all of a sudden they, they just gave him enough money to make a film I suppose and 
in all honesty, this is probably the longest anyone ever will have spent talking about this film because it's just not worthy of discussion, I don't think. And it's it's a it's a bad horror film. I don't know what Carson you feel about how we just ruined this for you, but you know, it. I don't know. In at least in my opinion, this is this is a debut that may not even materialize into a career afterwards. It's just it's even as horrors go, it's just bottom of the barrel, as Jack said. It's doesn't have anything to latch on to, neither scares or scare, special effects. There's nothing. It's a hodgepodge of stuff picked up from other things, other films, just superficially and just smooshed together with a with with two interesting shots, probably directed when the director was having a poe. That's that's my opinion on this. Yeah, that's as someone who hasn't seen the film yet. That's pretty disappointing, actually, because I was kind of looking forward to watching this. It seemed like it had an interesting twist to the body horror genre. Um, I do like this kind of gore fest kind of films. They do appeal to me in a very basic way. I don't expect much, but yeah, you guys haven't been making it sound all that fun or worthwhile, which is sad as the initial reception did seem a bit more positive, but I'm <coughs> sorry. Hearing all of this, it's been changing my mind. So I, I think I'll be skipping it. Uh, this could be like a lazy December late watch for 2020, but yeah, a shame. I mean, I don't think anyone's going to argue like this is the best horror film of the year or anything like special. Let's just clarify my opinions for everyone just thinks I'm a big fan of this film. But I think, I mean, it is entirely possible because over the past month, I binge watched all the Saw films and all the Purge films, which no offense does not have great acting or great writing behind them most of the time. Um, But I think it is a little bit unfair when you look at the general state of horror and how many just shitty horror films from just this year alone with like the grudge and stuff to say that this film is a complete failure. The acting, sure, like the writing is not good behind these characters and sure, like their dynamics are really dumb with the couple having like arguments and stuff like it's not interesting. But the acting is competent. I think it does a decent job building tension. There are scenes where a character you mentioned in the water, but also there's a scene like midway through the film maybe where a character goes into a bedroom and you don't know what's happening in the bedroom, but clearly it's something bad. And then you see the other character walk by and like it is legitimately decent and competent at building tension. Sure, it's nothing revolutionary or like amazing, but I think when you look at the general state of horror, I think this is above average, at least. I mean, you can have your opinion and that's completely, you know, fine. Everyone's going to have their own opinion on every film. But I think to say this film is below the average of what you get in the horror genre. Yes, it's no, you know, hereditary or it's no like, you know, these great horror films that, you know, really do an incredible job. I haven't seen Relic, so I cannot give my opinion on it. But I think it is above what you generally get with mainstream horror. Right. Um, <laughs> just to clarify, uh, I don't. I don't hate this film. I think, like I said before, I think it's. I think it's below, around the, the, the below average. I think it's just around poor for me. I think my main criticism of this is that, and I know it's it's not fair because we're, compa- we're comparing it to contemporaries, but I think just for like to Relic, not so much Hereditary. Hereditary is a different league. It, it Simply, it's got a bigger backing. It's got more prowess. It's not fair. So for me personally, I, I know you haven't seen it, Casson, but I think for me, I, if I can compare it to Relic and they have the same modest budgets 
and how they execute their specific horror tropes. The reason why this annoys me the, the most is because you have Color of Space, like I said, Richard Stanley's film, and you have a film there that can have exactly the same issues as this, but the difference between them two is that you have something as evocative <laughs> the, as Nicolas Cage in there, and he just throws that dice. The, the, the film in general actually throws that dice, and, and yes, it, for people, it'll, you'll get a one, but I think the chances are, with the extra capability of that actor on board, and, and how that's sort of provided regarding his character, it more than often than not will run, run, run bigger than a three or four or a five and maybe a six for a lot of people. But the, the problem I have with the beach, uh, sorry, the beach house and its horror is that there's nothing here that particularly sort of I found interesting. Like, like you said, I think there are, there are, I'm not as, and I'm not as, uh, uh, I don't hate this film and I don't want to use the word hate because I don't want to, like Jakob, I'm not. Uh, is in a poorer reflection of this film as Jakob is. It just my problem, I think, is the fact that I do see something here that could have been at least competently shot and, and competently crafted in that it could have crafted different expectations. And I think even though there are moments of tension and, and the scenes you described, most notably, are the ones is that it takes like this direction with no enhancement or inclination to do anything different. And granted, I believe this is a feature film debut. And again, I think I had the same issues with Natalie Erica James's film, Relic, like I repeatedly mentioned, where I think the maturity is not really there. And I think it's probably better in a sophomore effort. So in the first film, it's just teething problems. But even then, there's there's far far bigger issues than teething problems here. There's just there's just as a as a director debut goes, this just does not scream anything to me. I think that's the worst thing you can have with horror because, and as you said, it's such a market that's saturated. There's so many shitty horror films out there, and there is because it's it's a cheap market to make, and it and it, there's a cult classic orientation there. But there's all also that it, on reflection, if it gets an audience, it goes big and it goes big, big, big now because we're in this new wave. So the fact that it, it, it disappoints me on, on every front just leads me then to just, I don't hate it, as I've, I've repeatedly said, like, but I'm just left, I just don't even want anything more. I'm just, if, this is, if this is all anyone can, can manage on a directorial debut from a good, good backing to make a body horror that isn't particular, as Jacob said, doesn't have much body in it, it doesn't have much horror into it, Aside from one scene regarding this character's foot, which I generally did think was quite off-putting, I was um, slightly entertained by it in, in all of its darkness and creativity, uh, per se. But all, all the opportunities were here to make something akin to color of space, not, not something comparable to it, structure, uh, color palette, creativity-wise, but it, it is that where you can just make anything and you had every sort of step to just push the boat and make something, let's say, crazy. And I think this is just, this is a little bit too close to the fact of we don't want to step on anyone else's toes. Let's make something comfortable and let's not particularly push the boat, but let's make something conventional. But in, in, in my opinion, I think this should just have just gone for crazy. 
I kind of feel like I've just made a statement. I have to clarify myself. Like everyone's kind of just making statements these days. But um, uh, <laughs> Carson's point was kind of very. In, well, it was very interesting actually. When you say it's a, and and I think it's true when you say it's above average for horror because as you Jack uh, Jack as you said, there's so much shit coming out every single day there's a new there's a new horror on netflix or on amazon prime there's so much crap straight to vod just into the straight into the bin of never to be seen films on streaming services to be kind of just played hot potato with by by streaming giants like no one will ever watch these things and then so so you kind of have to just qualify this so if you say if you if you want to say an average or a median where you just take these films like The Exorcist or the uh, Hereditary or you know, things that are kind of let's just say a little bit more sort of lauded into in the in, into consideration or not, if you exclude them all together, then it's probably par for the course because the most horrors are just bad because it's they're easy to make, they're cheap to make, and it's it's all, almost always made by by people who don't want, I mean, many many times it's made by people who don't want a career in the industry. All they want to make is a, is a movie where they squib someone and then just, you know, and they have a lot of practical effects to deal with. And then on this point, you could actually, you know, okay, you could make a horror successful in, I think, at least three ways. You can either just take the genre, but this, this comes back to our conversation about the Ben Affleck film, Finding the Way Back. You can either take the genre expectations and subvert them, or you can, or you can execute on them, um, and then in that you can, you can then you can sort of subdivide this into. You can either have great scares in a, an otherwise sort of mediocre film with, or you can have great special effects, or you can have a great premise. And then you kind of have to pick one to excel. If 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 you don't do any, if you basically just do a mediocre job in all of these departments, the film's going to be mediocre, and that's what it is. In terms of body horror, it has one good scene. That the foot scene is pretty much, yep, it's a good special effect. That's a good foot. You have to say, you know, it's a formidable sort of foot effect, in a way. Um, there's there's one scare. I don't know. And then there and and then there's nothing else. Like nothing happens to these characters. They don't have arcs. Nothing happens to this. This 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 lady could had all the makings of a good final girl like she could have been sort of um i don't know the best comparison recent comparison i have this is this girl in ready or not which which is a woman i've have beforehand i had never heard of but she pulled pulled out a performance out of her ass that was just just made the movie for me she, this this lady just did not do that because well either did, well, the director wasn't competent enough and fair play it's his first film but he's not gonna he's not alfred hitchcock in the making like he's not william friedkin and or or the actress wasn't good enough because well it, maybe they were all a bunch of friends and they all just got paid 500 dollars for making this and and maybe i'm just being too harsh because this is just um i don't know a project done on a sunday in a beach house that the uh, director owns from all the money he got scouting locations for the wolf of wall street so Maybe I'm being too harsh, but um, and and maybe it is a reflection on the horror as a genre, that where where I think it's true to say, well, it's above average. But yeah, it's not good. And I, I think that's that that's how I will end my statement here. Beach House is not a good film. It's pretty bad, actually, in my opinion.
Thank you. Sorry, I don't know. I just, I generally quite laughing at that. Just how you just said that, then it was like, oh, I got it. <laughs> it's just quite funny. Um, if I'm going to end this conversation on the beach house, I'm going to end it on a positive if I can. I will say this. I think that, I think that it's, I think I'm trying, I have got a positive, I promise. I think that it's, Practical effects are something to applaud. I I do. I think I think we mentioned the foot scene, me, Jakob, and Carson. It's good. I mean, it, 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 there's definitely something there where you can find uh, to be squeamish. It gets to this point. I think it's body horror throughout. I think it works relatively well. Is it anything sort of entertaining to the fact of well, that's outlandish or does it push the boat? No, but is it bottom line? Yes. And I and I think if that's the film. If that's if that's a film on an average throughout all of its elements, elements is just it's fine. It does its job. I think that's certainly one of them. The one thing I will mention um, is that we spoke last week, me and Carson, on the old guard, and we spoke about it getting rather high plaudits for what is essentially a rudimentary average uh, comic book film. And because audience of when we came to this assessment, I think we, we were both, we were all debating it. To be honest, it was a, it was an interesting conversation to have. But reflecting on what's happening at the moment with no cinematic releases, the audiences are ultimately starved of seeing let not let's not say great cinema per se, but seeing a, a, a larger amount of body of work throughout. I think this is an example very similar and akin to the old guide where people are seeing this, and all, all, on the average release i think that this goes straight to demand no questions asked it has somewhat of a life on demand but there's nothing there to keep it going and i think the same thing can be said with the old guard and this is that audiences have been strangled for entertainment or, or and of horror and of anything relatively decent and this has come into its place and people are lauding this up as something to be better than average and it just, it just, it did not, not to destroy anyone um, who made this because I know that people got to eat, but this just isn't very good at all for me, for me personally. I think it's just one of those things where if you derive, if you deprive something, someone of something for so long, and the, and, and it's, it's like the anal analogy for food. If you go a, a day or two without eating food, and the first thing you eat is bread, it's going to taste like, I don't know, fucking a Michelin star was given to it, you know? It just, it is, you get deprived of something, you have it after a while, and it takes you back to a place that you loved, but you're not at that place anymore. You're not there. Just because I eat a spaghetti bolognese from, from Tesco does not mean, well, that does not mean it's the same value that I ate it when I was in Italy. It just isn't, it isn't enough. And I think that in the same weird analogy, people are doing that with cinema now is that we're, we're looking at something going, yeah, this reminds me of, you know, this, like that came out 10 years ago, which was a masterpiece because it's had 10 years to, to evolve. And I think it's just a problem we're having now is that we're just, we haven't really seen this for a long time. I don't think we've ever seen this where we're seeing cinema now and we're viewing it through an eye of pre-existing material. It's just a very strange, the old guard specifically because it does nothing but I think at least that 
actually, I'll, I'll go further. I think both of these films are very similar. I don't know if you agree with me, Carson. Sorry, I don't know if you agree with me, Carson, but I find that these two films are so comparable is that they do nothing with what they've got, whereas I, I appreciate the inclusivity of the old guard. And I think to some degree, there's some positives to be found. But I think these two are so eerily similar is that they've got poor execution of a, of a project that has been done far better to every extent. And ironically, they've got the absolute same assessment on both fronts of we're comparing them to previous works in plaudits, but not actually assessing it itself. To round out Clappercast, we'd like to end on some of our latest film or TV recommendations. Jakob, let's start with you. Well, recently I've, okay, I haven't been watching too many things because I've been quite busy at work. However, what I have watched and I think needs to be recommended and needs to be watched, especially nowadays, is The Assistant. I've watched it, I don't know, two days ago. It's absolutely amazing. Absolute top of this this year thus far to me. Well, maybe close, close second to The Five Bloods. I can't decide yet. But if you don't know what it is about, it's the Kitty Green's film about um, a day in life of an of a personal assistant to a guy who's supposed to be like the stand-in for Harvey Weinstein. Weinstein. So it's, it's and it's just this Orwellian look at in the sort of more of the beast. It's just a great sort of, for lack of a better word, for Fincher-esque sort of take on. Um, abuse of power and just and that asks very interesting questions about how people like Weinstein Weinstein kind of got away with this for so long and how so many people are in on this and how it Hollywood's just a rotten sort of place where where dreams go to die and 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 and, and people are sort of stripped of hope um, it's it's just a great film and everyone should watch it especially now Carson? I feel like being on Clappercast more. Every single thing I've watched recently, I've either talked about for the podcast or I've given as my recommendation. But talking about The Beach House, people talking about like bad shit, insane horror films, everyone should check out 1977's House. It is one of the most fun horror films with like absolutely insane visuals that is so charming and disturbing and just, it's, it's, Bad. it's so bad that it's good but it's also like legitimately good it is just an experience unlike any other that every time i watch it it's just like incredibly fun um so if you've not seen 1977's house it's pretty much just like a must watch it's incredible and finally nicola i've been re-watching and discovering a lot of new Werner herzog films as I've been reading the book Guide for the Perplex, which so far is one of the best books about a filmmaker I've ever read. And I've just rewatched the documentary uh, Land of Silence and Darkness, which is about a deaf and blind community. And it's absolutely one of the best documentaries I've ever seen. It comes highly recommended. It's just a deeply human, incredibly simple documentary stripped down of all the glitz and glamours of others. It's literally just Herzog looking and interviewing these people. They they talk about how they communicate with one another. They talk about how they feel with their conditions, how they got to this point. It's incredibly fascinating. Um, 
and it all boils down to its simplicity. It's so simple. It does not need anything more to it. It doesn't need complex camera movements. It doesn't need a particularly specific score. It uses musical, classical music very seldom and sparingly, but to great effect. And all of the characters that are interviewed, especially Finnish Straubringer, the the kind of a, one of the most important persons in the film, they are all deeply fascinating. And yes, Herzog is one of my favorite filmmakers, and I, I do think this might be just his best film, or definitely his best documentary. Well, that is it for this week's episode of Clubbercast. Where can we find everyone on social media? Nicola? You can find me on Letterboxd as Nicolo Grasso and on uh, Twitter and Instagram as NikkiGra97. And I have a YouTube and Vimeo channel that's called Enjoy the Movies. So be sure to go there if you want to watch some short films, movie reviews, and all that jazz. Carson, where can we find you? You can find me on Letterboxd, just the name is Carson Tamar, or on Twitter at BP underscore movie reviews. Um, that's probably the best place to find all the links to all my writings and my opinions. And you can complain to me about how the Beach House is horrible and I'm crazy for liking it there. And Jakub? Um, well, you can find me on uh, Twitter at Talk About Film, and you can find me on Letterboxd at, um, well, my name, Jakub Flash, or letterbox.com slash ravik and you can read my stuff on clapper and well and on letterbox i suppose so if you like a thousand word rants about movies then you're more than welcome to visit you can find me both at twitter and letterbox at jack luke sharp and you can find all the ledger releases of film and television reviewed at www.clapperltd.co.uk find out social links on clapper at facebook and at clapperltd on twitter Make sure to rate, subscribe, or follow us to be notified when the next episode comes out. Thank you all for listening, and we'll be back next week to discuss all things cinema.